This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories from people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. In this episode, I'm talking with Dan Monroe. He's a self-proclaimed confidence coach, and he has a lot of other interests, and he'll be... I don't even want to give him away. I just want you to hear it all unfold, because I think I was laughing and surprised, and in the same way, I learned a lot of things going through this call. So I hope you enjoy it. Dan Monroe from New Zealand. Hi, Dan, and welcome to the show. Hey, Jane. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. This is probably the latest morning, uh, uh, latest in time of day that I've done. So this is going to be interesting to see how this all goes down. But we are in like super far apart time zones, right? You're in mm-hmm. uh, is it Australia or is it New Zealand? I always um, have to be have that clarified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm in New, in New Zealand. It's a small little country off the south east southeast of australia is it really small though or are you just exaggerating <laughs> um how can i put it in perspective you get five new zealands into texas oh yeah that's 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 smaller than i thought actually i thought mm-hmm. it was you know you put it in proportion to australia you just think it's bigger that's how that goes yeah yeah <laughs> uh we've got a population about four million i think oh. just four million so yeah it's pretty mm-hmm. small and there's kind of no one here Wow, it sounds like a lot of people. That would be a lot of people to me, but four mm. million—that's a lot of yeah. people. So um, it, it looks beautiful from way far over here. Every time I see pictures of it, it looks quite stunning. So I'm going to have to come and see that firsthand at some point. Have you have you been there? Actually, let, let me just first say we should probably say how we met. Um, so mm. you and I met on the Oasis, which was the Entheos um, kind of a wisdom uh, talk about life kind of place. And we met there and got to know each other a little bit over time there. But then and not not really too much, just a little bit here and there. But I loved watching your story and how how you were really doing some pretty cool things. I especially loved watching your band, even though you warned me that it probably wasn't going to be my kind of music, but <laughs> it was fun to watch, so it was okay. Um, so we are basically just kind of connecting again after not really talking to each other for a while so we can talk about what's going on today. Mm-hmm. Right? All yep. right. So there's our background, nothing too colorful, I guess. Um, so what I wanted to start with is if you could give a little bit of background of, of kind, of, kind of talk about what you do for work and how you got there. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I call myself a confidence coach. I had to come up with something to call myself. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to have to think of something too. Okay, go on. Yeah, go on. yeah. You can make it up. That's what's right. it's beautiful. You call yourself anything. It doesn't oh, matter. That'll be fun. Yeah. And uh, well, I've essentially I do one-to-one coaching with people, uh, help them work on managing their psychology and their behavior to be more confident. And I run a community. I call it Brojo. Essentially, it's in-person group type coaching and it's 
kind of a mixture of that and just building a community of people who are really enthusiastic about self-development so they can find each other and hang out and kind of have the same values aligned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been doing that work for about three years now, uh, full-time. And, the I mean, I can go on and on about all my training and psychology background and that, but really what's led me up to this work was being somebody who struggled with confidence for a really large portion of my life. Mm -hmm. And in particular, it started at a very young age. I can remember being, you know, really young in, what would you call a, what do you call primary school, the first level of schooling? Oh, right, right. Here it's elementary school. Elementary, right. Mm -hmm. So I remember in elementary being, you know, I'd choke up if there was a confrontation. I would, uh, I'd cry all the time when I was a little kid, you know, Mm -hmm. I was this kind of, um, yeah, a lot of things scared me and and I really wasn't sure of myself and I looked to others for approval and that became a big pattern in my life where essentially I tried to achieve and impress people as much mm-hmm. as possible uh, as a way of, you know, feeling short bursts of, of self-worth and uh, eventually came to call this people-pleasing, which mm-hmm. is something I've since discovered is massively common. Right. Uh, yeah, we, uh, I, I seriously, we just talked about that on a call earlier. Not kidding. People mm-hmm. pleasing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Approval seeking, being Mr. Nice Guy or Mrs. Mm-hmm. Nice Girl, whatever you want to call it, this idea that we we moderate what is truthful inside us in order to, you know, get approval from others. And I thought that was the only way to live, you know, mm-hmm. and, and even though it wasn't working for me, you know, I was really feeling isolated and disconnected from people because I couldn't connect with them. And I was doing jobs that weren't right for me because I was just worried about money and so on, so mm-hmm. on. All I thought of was, well, I'm just not nice enough. You know, I just need to please them <laughs> even more because I've only got this one strategy, right? Like, so let's just it make it work, worse, yeah. right? Let's just make it worse and worse by going after yeah. more of it. Right. It's like if you're eating poison, it makes you sick. You're like, oh, right. I should probably eat some more poison. You know, I'm just not eating enough poison. Right. Exactly. That. Yeah. So, at what point then did you decide that that was maybe not the way to go? But, you know, I get asked this all the time. There was, uh-huh. there was no oh, one. Oh, really? T- I was, th- I was thinking that was an original question, but go on anyway. <laughs> no, you know, uh, a lot of you know, it comes up in the Brojo thing right. that I run all the time. Is how did you know? You know, how mm-hmm. did what changed? For me, there was no one point. There was all these little transitions, these insights that happened where I would just see another perspective on the world or something would occur to me, this kind of feeling that something wasn't right and I'd start exploring more. Mm -hmm. But essentially, I got to kind of my mid-20s and I came somehow through just a buildup of frustration and resentment. I just came to realize that whatever it was that I was doing didn't work. It was just this kind of clear realization. I'm not sure what age or what date this occurred. But one day I just kind of woke up and just went, this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever I'm doing, you know, I think especially it happened when I started making some decent money uh, as an employee. And I kind of crossed this threshold of money where I didn't have to worry about money anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like I never had to worry about going into the red and I could holiday or do whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I still wasn't satisfied. And it was it was scary because I was like, this is supposed to solve everything. You know, this was the right. final front. And I get there and it's not what I thought it was going to be. And I kind of had this crisis. I was like, if that's not it, then what the hell's going on? You know? Right. And so I started finally 
um, maybe it was prompted because I, you know, I used to work as a probation officer and I used to work with guys day in, day out who would sabotage their own lives. And I could so clearly see it with them, you know, that it was a self-worth issue that they were lashing out or, or whatever to try mm-hmm. and feel better about themselves. And at some point I just clicked on my, maybe I'm doing that somehow. Like right. I'm not committing crimes, but maybe I'm engaged in some form of harmful pattern of behavior that I can't see because I've always done it, just like they can't see it because they've always done it. Mm-hmm. And and maybe I'm just, you know, I'm blind to to being the one who's created the situation. And for me, you know, that was the huge turning point where I decided that whatever's happening, it was my job to deal with it. It was something to do with me. I was the common denominator in all of my dissatisfaction. There was me in the center of it. So it had to be something to do with me. I think people have a hard time getting to that acceptance, though, because we we always want to blame other circumstances or other people for why we're uncomfortable or dissatisfied. So the fact that you found your way there pretty, pretty early on is almost a gift, you know. And even the money situation, that is... That's such a big one. We think once we have enough money and there's no, you know, concern about debts and bills and things like that, everything will be perfect. And it, it's so the opposite of that. There's got to be so much more to it than that. Yeah, I think it's it's quite a rude wake up call because, mm-hmm. you know, I I always work with people as is kind of people are either a victim or they're responsible. Those are the two options. And any given decision you make, you either make the decision of a victim or the decision of a responsible person. And the trouble is being a victim can be very appealing because nothing's your fault. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything about anything. You just sit back and let life happen to you. And there's something very appealing about that. You might not enjoy that life that's happening to you, but at least you don't have to do anything. You know, you can just sort of sit back and, and complain about it. Uh, yeah, that doesn't and, work for me. <laughs> no, no, but yeah. it does work for a lot of people mm-hmm. or it's, They've convinced themselves it works. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a self-fulfilling trap. I mean, if you think you're a victim, you'll act like a victim, which will create circumstances and, and things happening right. in your life Psycho. that don't work well for you. And yeah. it just seems to prove itself true. Like if you've got someone who thinks they can't do anything about the job that they hate, then they'll stay in the job that they hate. They hate it more and they mm-hmm. go, see, life's tough for me. And And they sort of trap themselves in it. But. I guess I at some point because I was trying all sorts of different things. I was I was always trying to break out of this thing. I just didn't know what to do, mm-hmm. and I was trying all these different things. And eventually, you know, I had some point achieved all the things that I was supposed to achieve to to feel satisfied and seen that they didn't do the trick. There was no one else left to blame. Mm-hmm. There was no one else left to look at, and finally the scope turned inward. And I guess I just. Eventually, I just got around to the point where I said, what else could I be doing? Mm-hmm. What would be a different way of living than what I've always done? And now that actually led me on a dark path. I got into, because my main issue was around approval. And most importantly, that was with women I was attracted to. Mm-hmm. That's about the worst. Like, <laughs> it's it's so cringy, you know, to right. think about it used to be this... Um, we call him Mr. Nice Guy. Uh-huh. It's this kind of servant who just bows down oh, uh, yeah. to women as if they're some sort of other species, you know, there's right. some sort of god species. There's a worship that happens there. And 
nobody wins with right. that wish. Right. Everybody suffers. And sometimes you know, it's okay for a moment, though. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. So, so you okay? So you went through that phase, and then mm. and then what happened next? Yeah. So I started exploring different ways, and you know that yeah, the dark path I went down was the pickup artist. Oh. Thing. Yeah. So I spent a couple of years in that particular netherworld. Uh, and essentially, it was just perfecting the art of manipulating people into liking you, which is what I'd been trying to do my whole life anyway. Right. This was just a very, you know, very, very focused. Str- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is how you can really manipulate people. You know? <laughs> Never stopping to question, hey, maybe the manipulation is the problem in the first place. But, right. you know, and and eventually you know i was doing that for a while and i was getting a lot of external validation but still feeling alone and dissatisfied and eventually i started i started experimenting with being honest i was like well i've tried all the dishonest stuff i mean i can make it work so to speak mm-hmm. but i was I, I had a particular experience i actually i went home with this girl i'd met at a bar and all i'd been doing all night is just teasing her and like kind of running this game on her you know mm-hmm. it was all a big big performance it wasn't really <sighs> me it's just this thing i did i'll try not to be really frustrated about this but continue okay <laughs> yeah yeah it was <laughs> it was total bullshit and you know it was, it was a few hours worth we got back to my place and we were actually in bed together and i had to stop you know i ended up sleeping on the floor that night i was so dismayed and i couldn't really figure out why there's just something really wrong with the situation and eventually the next day I realized, well, she didn't actually know who she was in bed with. She was in bed with a performance that I put on, not mm-hmm. me. The The person she was attracted to was a guy I made up, a fiction. It was right. like being attracted to Captain Jack Sparrow. He's not Johnny Depp, you right, know. Right, right. Well, that's and pretty heavy. That's some pretty heavy stuff to do in the middle of the night. Yeah, it was <sighs> actually quite a crisis for me. You know, I... I I mean, I won't mince words. I felt kind of like a rapist. You know, I felt like I had tricked a girl into bed that she wasn't actually consenting because I wasn't really me. Hmm. And um, it just caused this massive crisis in me. And and after that, I thought, look, I don't want to feel like that ever again. I want to make sure that if someone's in, in bed with me or someone's any form of relationship with me in my life, that they've made that decision rationally based on who I am. Right. On some performance or some manipulation that I've I've managed to con them with, you know. Um, and so I started experimenting. I started experimenting with being honest with people. I'd go up to people and tell them what I actually thought of them. I'd tell them why I was actually talking to them and, and without any pretense. And it's freakishly attractive, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not I kidding wish someone you. Someone told me that earlier. <laughs> you know? It is freakishly attractive, like um, and just uh, empowering. I mean, I think that. I, I totally know what being a people people pleaser is like. I told I mean I was doing that my whole life and once I found my voice and decided this this is really who I am. Uh, people the people in my life, some of them are like um I don't even know who you are anymore, which is sad because it means exactly what you just said that I um they got to know me based on who someone I wasn't, you know? Mm-hmm. And um but once you get over that and everybody has to just either like stay or go, right? They're going to either stick with you or not at that point once you go into who you are. Mm. But then every single friendship and relationship I've made since is so much more profoundly connected because it's mm. real. 
it's completely different. Well, that's the thing is, you know, eventually with the kind of manipulative people pleasing approach, you end up surrounded by people, but still feeling alone. Right. Yeah. Now you, you'd you have those moments, you're actually surrounded by people that are supposed to be your friends and you don't feel connected to any of them. Mm-hmm. You're so busy performing, you get home, you're exhausted after socializing rather than energized, you know. Exactly. And it's it's so tough. And, and just no one had ever told me that you can be honest. Everyone had always trained me out of it. You know, from a very early age, we're told to be polite, for mm-hmm. example. Right. It essentially means be dishonest. It means pretend to be okay with something. Right. It's very unlikely that you're saying, you know, I always think of Christmas. Um, you get that gift that you hate from someone and you have to pretend to like it, you right. know. And and it's like this just accepted thing that you'll pretend to like the gift that you hate. And, you know, you can always have appreciation for someone just giving. But the point being is that from an early age, we're given this mixed message. Just be yourself and right. yet don't be it like that and not like that. And definitely don't do that bit. <laughs> so this is kind of like be yourself, but not with all this other stuff that's it's, you. It is you complicated, know? though, don't you think? I mean, it's I mean, even though we, we do the things... We were all brought up the way that we were. Even if we said, okay, from today forward, we're going to do this with children so that they can be themselves, it gets complicated because there's there's social norms and there's, you know, some rules and there's uh, behaviors that wouldn't be appropriate. But how do you take those and make them okay? You know what I mean? It's I mean, I'm not trying mm-hmm. to solve that in this call, obviously, but <laughs> you know, I think about that with my own kids. Like I want them to be able to express what's what's truly them, but at the same time, um, not say to someone, this is the suckiest gift, I ever, gift I've ever received or, um, or like, like not like, I don't want to go to school, so I'm just not going to go. Right. That's mm-hmm. there, there's like this, it's really tricky to find that place as you're, as you're raising children. I think as an adult, you can sort out those kind of, um, decisions, but it's a little trickier with kids, I think. Oh, I have no doubt about that. You know, it's 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 not it's what I call simple but not easy. And the reason I say that is I mean you can there's a million ways you can be honest. Mm-hmm. Being honest, like if if I'm feeling anger around someone, I don't have to punch them in the face to be honest. Right. You know, I can say I'm feeling angry right now and right. own that. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to engage in a harmful behavior to express myself. And I think that's, you know, that's probably where we need to go with in terms of guiding others, whether they're children or adults, is how do you find a way to be truthful that's also your best attempt to not cause harm. Mm-hmm. And the, I think that's where it got really tricky, especially for me, because one of my things was confrontations. Like I was just terrified of them growing up. Mm-hmm. Anybody disagreeing with me, I'd, I'd stuck in that like fight or flight response and mm-hmm. I just couldn't trust myself to handle myself emotionally in those moments. I couldn't trust myself to handle someone else having an emotional reaction, you know. And so I just couldn't, I, I just back out of, of real confrontations quite often um, because I thought it always had to be aggressive and defensiveness, you know. I thought it was that was a confrontation. I didn't realize that you can just express yourself truthfully without any attempt to change the other person's mind. Right. And just kind of set the boundary, you know, and just show respect for yourself by setting the boundary. And you don't have to win or lose anything. There is no competition happening, you know. Right. It's so cool to get to that point, though, to get where you can just live peacefully and let everybody be who they want to be. That's so tricky to get there, isn't it? And I think one of the key things here is, is being judgmental. 
Mm-hmm. You know, quite often people think, well, I can't be truthful because everyone will hate me. <laughs> you know, like if I say what I'm really thinking, I'm going to have nobody, no friends left. And so straight away I think, well, if your truth is that full of judgment, mm-hmm. then there's there's more you need to be working on here. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I want to shift it a little bit and get into some mm. of the, the fun things, the more fun things. I wanted to get background, give the kind of that like uh, baseline of where you're coming from. But I also want to sure. talk about... So you're doing co- uh, the Broad, what is it? Brojo. 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 I thought that's what yeah. I was going to say. It was there. <laughs> and and yeah. that sounds actually really fun. I bet they're pretty fun and exciting and full of energy when you do those meetings. And But what are you doing? Like, how are you filling your bucket? How What are the things that you do to follow your passion and fill that up in you so you can bring that to other people? Mm. Yeah, well, I, I sort of look at it as like primary and secondary passion. So my primary passion is the work, you know, mm-hmm. doing the brojo stuff, whatever it is, helping guys and girls be more confident. Um, but, you know, I always think you've got to fill up every minute of your day as much as possible with, with the things that you love, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and for me, it's it's the artistic stuff, writing. Um, just finished my second book now. Oh, yeah. congratulations. Thank you. Thank That's you. Awesome. What what's yeah. the title? It's going to be called <laughs> Nothing to Lose. Okay. What's the yeah. theme? What's the theme about? What's what's it It's about? it's all about confidence. It's nice. pretty much all I think about these days, you know, I'm a bit obsessed to be fair. And Nothing uh, to Lose is pretty cool when you think about it that way. <laughs> I mean, that's something I really had to learn over time. Mm-hmm. You know, like my son, my older son, he's he will go and talk to any girl, and I, maybe he's doing a little bit of what you were doing during those days. But he, sure. he, um, he's just like, you know, I have nothing to lose. I can talk to him or not. They'll, you know, the like not talking to them, I, I lose the opportunity of meeting someone. But talking yeah. to them, they'll either be nice or they won't. What, whatever will happen, will happen. And even with um, the work I'm doing now, it's I cannot believe how much different my attitude is about the work so it's like i'm just gonna ask somebody to be on my podcast even though it's not really officially out there yet i'm just gonna ask and the amount of people that will say yes to that is astounding actually (laughs) but it's really nothing to lose i mean all they can do is say no but if i don't ask i will never know you know it's so it's a really shift in how i think and that book sounds like just the right thing for people to get to that yeah well hopefully i mean it all came from uh, it's going to be part of a sort of a three-part series, but it all came from this concept when I was studying confidence and trying to understand it, is there was a theme I saw. People, the most confident people really behaved as if they had nothing to lose. Mm. And I started to realize they genuinely believed that. They realized mm-hmm. what I believe is the truth, and that is you're already complete. There literally is nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. You can only gain from your experiences. You can only gain wisdom and learning and, you know, that richness of life, that quality of life through experience. There really is, you know, people worry about losing money and losing friends. and all. You never had that stuff in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's not inside you. You don't own it. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, talk to anybody like who's been made redundant, whether or not you have a job. You know, mm-hmm. if something can be taken away from you, then you don't have it. You never had it. So you really, you kind of really got nothing to lose. I mean, and and trying to understand how someone gets to that level of psychology, that just fascinates me. <laughs> I love studying people who are confident, going, how do you do that, you know? I know. Some people are just born with it. Like they just, they just don't um, question it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I always wonder, like, is that in, born in them? Or is it 
um, something that they've learned. And I think I think more often it's that they learn from really good examples. They were taught that. What do you think? I think, yeah, there's always going to be that combination of genetics and, and influence during life. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing what small things can do to someone, especially in early life. You know, we're so susceptible in early life. And I can think of, you know, so many examples, especially my clients who aren't confident when they come to me. They can remember these little seemingly small things that happened in their life that just set a belief in stone, you know. Oh, exactly. And yeah. I can list I off three. I imagine the opposite is true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. No, we won't go into that. But yeah, I can, I can visibly see the three things that like really tripped me up for a lot of years. And they, they were so insignificant and they really didn't matter, you know, but they stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I call that small but significant. You know, on paper it looks like nothing, but mm-hmm. it was it was like changing the tracks for a train. You know, yeah, it it's completely a changes yep. the direction. Yeah, yep. and I, I imagine you know people who appear to be what you might call naturally confident, who have self worth without needing external validation. You know, mm-hmm. I just imagine they had the right influence at the right time. Essentially, mm-hmm. early on in life, someone says, "Hey, you know, you're responsible for." For how you feel, you you create a life for yourself. Someone just sort of gave them that message at the right time when they're open to hear it, right. um, and or maybe they had sustained support over time that got them through the kind of things that set most of us back. You know, like I think of the time the first time I, um, I asked a girl out and she said no. She did it in a really quite a devastating way. You know, she basically told me that she hated me. And, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's funnier now than it was then. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Actually, I'd laugh at the <laughs> wrong things sometimes, but that just, I can't even imagine saying that. That's why I was laughing. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, in high school, we can be so much crueler. You know? I know, that's true. And I just remember, you know, if someone had been there to just, just in the right moment, just go, oh, it's nothing, man. You're going to get heaps of people say, no, it's no big deal. That could have been huge for me, but there was no one there to say that at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I was left to kind of diagnose the situation on my own, and I did not have the wisdom required to accurately perceive that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that as I'm a bad person. I should keep my desires to myself. You know, that's how I perceive that, and there was no one there to intervene. So I often think... You know, the most confident or naturally confident people out there, they just had the right support at the right time. Right. It's really important. That's something we can and that's something we can try to cultivate and find ways to have available to people, but it's, it takes a lot of work to get that to happen. It's one of your simple but but not easy kind of things. <laughs> right? Yep, pretty much. It's uh like if you could push a button to just make it happen it would right. have such right. effect, but there is no button. Right. You know, and it's, for us to support each other now, I think that's the tough thing is we're all being raised by people who have the same insecurities. Right. You know, the people who give you advice on your career are not satisfied with their job. You know, the people who give you advice are socializing are trying to manipulate others. We're getting kind of people are passing their sickness on to others. Because mm-hmm. you know? we're, we're like this humans. We just can't resist giving advice. You know? It's, <laughs> it's it's compulsion. Someone asks you, how do I do this? You can't say, you know what? I'm totally not qualified for that. <laughs> You're just like, I'll tell you how you should do it, even though you've never done it before. You just, right. we've got that thing. I'm sure it comes from a, a good place in a sense. It comes from a, we're trying to help. But man, the amount of harm we do when we just yeah. don't say, you know what? I'm not the right person to talk to. I haven't got that sorted yet. You should go see someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, saying yeah. I don't know is really okay. For some reason, we don't think we can, but it's actually really okay. And it's actually a good answer at the right time, you know? 
Oh, absolutely. I think a lot more people need to start saying, I don't know. You know, I'm not the right person to ask. Um, it's hard but, It's hard to do, though. I think <laughs> I, I know I don't do that. I should do that more. Actually, when people ask me for things, I really need to yeah. do that more often because I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. So we really should be honest about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not yeah. the one to ask for it's a lot of advice. So I wanted to find out, I wanted to dig into a little bit more of the things that you're doing for fun. So you're writing, sure. what you love, and the work. And what else is filling you up? What else? Um, yeah, and then there's the stuff that has no relationship to my work, really. Like uh, I'm a dancer. I do zook dancing. It's um, What is that? I'd say the easiest explanation is it's like a sort of sexy Brazilian version of salsa. Really? And, yeah, it's a partner, partner dance, and I've been doing that for about three years now. Really, yeah. I would not have ever expected you would say that. How did you? <laughs> how did you come upon Zook dancing? I need to hear this story. Mm, well, this is actually, you know, this is something that people can try for themselves. I read, uh, you know, there's the movie Yes Man, with Jim yes, Carrey. Yes, I do. Yeah, so there's a book that that movie is based on, a, a true life story by a guy named uh, Danny Wallace. Okay. It's called Yes Man. And it's it's the same concept as the movie, but it's set in the UK, and the events are all kind of it's different different things that he has to do, but it's the same kind of thing. He says yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Real life guy who was bored with his life, and I can't remember how, but someone sort of suggested like, why don't you just try everything for a while? And so he said yes to everything, mm-hmm. and it was weird. Like the book, all these fantastic things happen in real life. Just lots of weird things happened. <laughs> you know? uh, I think. Because what happened, one of his friends, I think, found out that he was doing this. So it started. he started sending him letters with instructions to go do this bizarre <laughs> stuff just to mess with him, you know. So fun, yeah. Most of it was really long, pointless trips to places that were just a hassle to get to. <laughs> <laughs> just being mean to him. That is very mean, messing up with his yeah. life. But it's a good book. The guy's a really funny writer. He makes okay. it sound really fun. Um, but I was really inspired by that book. I was like, you know what, that could be... Because that was when I was getting out of the pickup thing and I was just sick of like, you know, that one more thing hadn't worked kind of thing. And I was right. like, I realized I was kind of saying no to a lot of opportunities and playing safe a lot. I thought, no, I'm just going to do the opposite. So long story <laughs> short, one girl eventually said, hey, you should come try this dancing class. Okay. And, you know, I'm playing in a heavy <laughs> metal band. I was raised in West Auckland, which is a fairly rough area of New Zealand. Dancing was, you know, it wasn't condoned for men. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was like, but I can't dance because I'm not gay. You know, she's like, no, you, d- you don't get it. <laughs> um, you know, so, but I had to say yes. I had to say yes. And that was a crucial thing. If I had been in that same position without this yes man kind of year that I was going through, I would have said no to that. And mm-hmm. who knows how my life would have been different. But, I went to a salsa class. I had been doing martial arts for a while, playing in a metal band for a while, and this seemed to combine the two. It was moving <laughs> your body to music, you know. Uh-huh. I'd never really thought of it that way before, but I thought, this is kind of awesome. It's like martial arts, but you don't get punched in the face. Right. <laughs> Bonus. And it's music, but you don't have to make it up. You don't have to play it yourself. Right. Um, it was kind of like the best of both worlds. So <laughs> I ended up, yeah, I did salsa for a while, and... I tend to do things like all or nothing. So I just went straight into like competing and being in performance teams and all that sort of stuff. Are you serious? 
Yeah, yeah, just kind of dive straight into it. I will need footage on this. We will have to find some video footage on this, I yeah, think. We have video footage. We have some competitions. <laughs> yes. I can't even imagine this. I cannot even I can't even visualize this. So it, is it with the same girl that you um dance with or do you have you Yeah, yeah, I had the same partner. She we've actually just stopped because she broke her leg really badly and oh, that uh, makes it's it be, difficult, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be many months before she's dancing oh, again. I'm sorry to hear that. How did she break her leg? Oh, she was at this uh, trampoline place and oh. Everything was fine, like all the trampolining stuff was fine. And then she was just leaving and some guy accidentally bumped her off the trampoline and her leg got caught kind of <gasps> in the edge. Oh, ouch. She's, you know, now she's like Wolverine with all the metal in her legs and stuff. She's oh totally... Oh, my gosh. Oh, that, that's so sad. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, so what will you do? Will you be on sabbatical from Zook dancing or will you find somebody else to dance with for competitions? Well, actually, it was, it was kind of ironic timing because I just told her, of like, I, it was. <laughs> yeah, I'd had enough of um, of competitions and stuff for a while. I was getting uh, a bit burned out on it. Um, so now I'm just dancing for fun. My girlfriend's, um, she's, I met her through dancing. She's really into it, uh-huh. which makes it easier. And um, I don't know if I'll get into competitions again, um, but... I definitely will continue with the dancing, you know. That and it was so through cool. it was through salsa that I found so yeah. Would you have ever thought that like like five years ago or ten years ago that that's what you'd be doing? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, mm. one of the things that's this weird thing that I pride myself on is I am yet to find somebody else on the planet who's both in a metal band and does zook dancing. <laughs> hey, we're gonna put that out there. That'll be the challenge, the podcast challenge <laughs> of the day. That's it's so odd. funny. Yeah. You know, the, the, the people in both worlds react like equally surprised to the other world, you know. Right. So I'm, I'm dancing and people find out I'm in, I'm in a metal band. They're like, what? Right. And then the other, I'm in a metal band. They're like, you dance? What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> did, did they try to kick you out at that point? They're like, yeah, no more. So No, they, they're, they're too surprised to really <laughs> comprehend what's going on. And this is, you know, this goes to what we're talking about is when you're really when you just pick and choose and just do what you want, you end up with this kind of unique existence mm-hmm. where there's really no one else like you because your particular combination of flavors just won't be replicated anywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. It's I think fascinating. It's a, it makes you fascinating for that, not for any manipulation mm-hmm. or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. You end up talking to people and they kind of go, and you do that, and you right. do that. You know, exactly. they're just blown away as if somehow they couldn't do the same, but right. they could. Right, you know? right. So tell, talk a little bit about your band. So you're, when you say heavy metal, I think I think that's a really tame way of saying what your band is like. <laughs> if you want to maybe give it a little bit more color, I think there's more to it than that. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, the, the the music world, the metal world, it's, it's full of um, quite pedantic people. There's about 300 different types of metal. Mm-hmm. Um, ours is called progressive metal, which basically means it's it's very heavy, um, like dark, growling type lyrics, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically really quite technical musically. We focus on doing really strange time signatures and really mm-hmm. sort of complicated patterns. It's almost like mathematical metal. The people watching it can't even nod their head to it they can just watch because there's no real timing to go to hmm. and i, I kind of like that we get these audiences of people just staring at us and we have no idea if they like it or not <laughs> you know they're just unable to move to it um, <laughs> so you're like it's some sort of mind melding music but it's loud 
that's really what it's doing. It's like it is is uh-huh. is quite loud. Yes, um, I got into a band when I was thirteen. Actually, you know, if we ever look at the right influence at the right time, I mean, I I might not have made any breakthroughs if I hadn't been in a band and been performing on stage and made the friends that I made through mm-hmm. music quite genuine, authentic friends I could be myself with. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the drummer of the band, he's my best friend. We've been best friends since it started. And uh, he was one of the few people in my life who I didn't pretend around. You know, he mm. saw everything about me. So I actually had some some reference because of him that I could learn from later in life about what a connection looked like. Um, but, yeah, we, we used to play when we were 13. We, you know, we were learning instruments at the same time. We thought we were so awesome. And we were <laughs> awful. Just <laughs> Terrible music. <laughs> used to do like Marilyn Manson covers and stuff because uh-huh. angsty teens, you know. Right. <laughs> and um, and God, yeah. So that was yeah. It's been about twenty years now. What's the name of your band? Uh, our latest name is Seasons. See, well, okay. that's pretty tame. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a theme with this kind of okay. metal. Something that ends with S, like oh. a noun with S, you know. So okay. I don't know. And then um, what, what do you play? What do, what, do I you, play bass. And do you yeah. sing too or just play bass? Just bass, uh, okay. occasionally a bit of backup okay. screaming, but no, nothing mm-hmm. to <laughs> home about. Um, but, yeah, we've, you know, being in a, in a band is kind of like being a car enthusiast. It's mm-hmm. something you throw a lot of money at and you get no money back. <laughs> but you just do it for satisfaction, you know. <laughs> so everyone Extremely I, expensive hobbies. I may, have heard, I may have heard that once or twice. Yeah, it's it's not. It's you, you think if you're out. People think if you're out playing that you're making lots of money. No, but, you, but you're really not. You know, you're, no, you are. You are significantly losing money with every second <laughs> that you play. You know? um, but it's you know, we've been a, yeah, You know, we'll sell a t-shirt and we're just like, oh my god, yes. <laughs> but I don't think we've ever been, you know, in the black or whatever. It's called. Um, you know, but we, uh, we've, we've put a couple of albums together, all professionally done. That was expensive. Mm. And, you know, we've played a couple of, you know, we've done a quite a few gigs and we've played some really decent ones where we've opened for sort of big name bands from, from the States and stuff. And oh, so you like get who? these really highlight moments. Like that, who, um, who did you open for? Drop, drop some names. It's time to drop, drop a couple names. Yeah. Um, I'd say the biggest band we've ever opened for is a metal band called Lamb of God. I think I've actually heard of them. Yeah, they're they're fairly significant. And, I probably have uh, not heard them, but I've heard of yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't mistake them for being a Christian metal band. The name is misleading. <laughs> is it um, like the opposite? The, yeah. <laughs> something like that. Who knows? It's uh, it's it's a lot of fun, and that was that was awesome because they pulled in. I think the audience there was about a thousand people in the crowd, oh. and that was by far the biggest audience we've ever had. You know. And um, I remember that I can remember that night fully because I, was, I remember thinking if I get if I allow myself to just be overwhelmed with nervousness, I'm going to end up missing the whole night. You know, mm-hmm. we'll finish and I won't remember any of it. So I was like, I've just I've got to be as present as possible. I was practicing presence that that night. I remember that mm-hmm. this is new I've been playing with, and so I was like kind of locking eyes with people in the crowd and playing to individuals, and I got to. It's it great. I got to remember the whole thing. You know, I can still remember it. Um, and it was just, it was just the best gig we've ever had. You know, and I've always been a bit of a show off, I guess. And so being up on stage is just, 
you know, it's food for my soul, really. Right. Let's that part yeah. shine, that part come out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's something, I don't know, I like being the source of entertainment. That used to be a very toxic thing, and now it comes from a much healthier place, I mm-hmm. think. So we've got Zook dancing and heavy metal. Anything else that you do to fill that bucket and keep yourself happy, be follow your passion? No, well, I guess, yeah, just the writing thing and... Um, I don't really get much more time in the day after all that stuff. Right. Okay. Mm. So I have another question then. I'm going to take it a different way. So one of my favorite questions is asking people, um, especially people who have really explored what they're interested in and done a lot of you know fun things, is there something new that you're interested in that's sort of calling your attention that you haven't really studied or learned about before, but it's like it keeps sort of like tapping you on the head, like, hey, come come look at me and learn about me. Yeah, there's a couple of things. One is like really aligned with my work, which is just speaking, like getting onto stage and doing speaking events. Mm-hmm. But that's that's more of a natural extrapolation from the kind of work that I do, mm-hmm. um, and I'm kind of half doing it anyway. But the uh, the most recent one is actually languages. Um, mm-hmm. My girlfriend is from Czech Republic, and I've started learning to speak Czech, um, so that you know her parents don't hate me, I guess. <laughs> and, um, Good motivation. Yeah, and and what was interesting is I, I'm I'm really surprised how quickly I'm picking it up. Really, and I'm starting to suspect that I actually have a bit of a thing for languages that I've never explored before. Uh, I oh. remember reading a long time ago that if you can do accents, you know, or impressions, mm-hmm. you're going to find it easier to learn new languages. There's something about the brain being able to adapt speech or something. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of. Oh, I've done a few accents and stuff for my own amusement. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it even is related, but yeah, picking up Czech really quickly, uh, I was able to have like quite a rudimentary caveman type conversation. And it's only been a couple of months. Oh, so that's thought, really good. That's pretty fast, actually. Yeah. So I thought, well, you know, one of the things that's, that working on confidence does is allows you to be honest about your strengths. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a huge problem a lot of people have is they – they perceive modesty and humble as as they take it too far and they start to become dishonest with themselves about what they're actually good at. I know and, that. I know yeah. that way, yes. You know, so I've I've freed myself of that curse. If anything, I'm a bit arrogant now, but <laughs> at least that way I don't miss out as much as I used to. And um you know, so that's been good, you know, to discover that that I've got a bit of a flair for this language thing and maybe, you know, I can see that having so many so many useful purposes later in life. I'd love to become, I don't know what you call it, polylingual or whatever, you know, be able to speak three or four languages and, you know, with the kind of work I'm doing, I'd be able to spread my message so much further. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that I have a huge fascination for languages and I really want to learn a language, but I haven't put the time, the focus on it. So um, I do like to do a lot of, you know, pretend accents, but I, Every time I try to learn Italian, it's it's a slow process. I don't think I have the, I don't think at least so far I haven't seen that I have some natural aptitude for it. Just because I can like pretend to be Australian sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was uh, I was doing some research into it. I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss. You know, four hour yes, work week. Right. Um, and one of his particular tricks is you know learning languages really quickly. So I was looking into some of the science behind learning languages, you know, how do you learn it as quickly as possible? What are the shortcuts, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things actually my 
my business partner came across was that most people drop out of learning a language because they don't have a solid reason to learn it. Mm-hmm. And that's really important to have a solid reason. Like the most, the people who are most successful learning a language are those who need to do so for their job. Oh, I would imagine, right? Yeah. And you know, I'm doing it because I plan to actually, you know, live with my girlfriend in Czech Republic at some point, and you know, I'd love to be able to speak her language. And so I've got this reason to do it. Mm-hmm. And on the days I don't feel like doing it, I can pull on that reason to motivate myself. And I. I remember I started learning Spanish when I was in high school, and again, I, I had an aptitude for it back then. You know, I did well on the exams and stuff, mm-hmm. but there was no reason for me to learn it. I right. couldn't foresee myself using it. You know, if I thought I'm going to travel, um, you know, uh, Latin America sort of thing after right. this, then I would have probably stuck with it. Um, That's a good so point, I think it's, though. Yeah, it's really important. You can create a reason to learn it, like you can plan a trip to a country in right. a year from now, and then of course you kind of you got a good reason to to get out the textbook each day yeah. or whatever. I'm going to have to do that with Italian because really my big dream is to go live there for like an extended period of time. So, and it will really help a lot if I could speak the language. I have a feeling <laughs> it's going to make life a little bit easier. So there, I have my reason. Now I just have to get busy on it. That will be the next thing. Oh, and use technology. You know, there's some right. great websites now for teaching yourself how to speak a language. You can even... Um, even on your phone. Some... I have like Duolingo mm-hmm. or something like that. It's a little app yep. on my phone. that. But I just, for some reason, it's just not enough. I have to worry. I need something a little bit more intense. But I found there's one trick. I, uh, if you go to Tim Ferriss's website, there's actually uh, one of his email opt-in type things. You mm-hmm. get a free... Uh, 12 top tips for learning a language from this polylinguist guy. And one of them was you actually go on uh, fiverr.com and you can hire someone to have a conversation with you in the chosen language. Really? So you can get on a Skype call with them every week to practice, you know. And, I like um, that. That would yeah, be way yeah. more fun. I'm going to do that. That's a great yeah. idea because it's just too boring talking to my phone. That's a great idea. Yeah, and of course you get to learn, you know, the real the real language. You know, the one you get taught, there's a way that the locals actually speak and you get to hear all the, you know, my girlfriend gets to, I'll be saying what I think is perfect check and she'll be like, no, we don't actually talk like that, you know, and she <laughs> structures a sentence or I'm being too formal or too uh-huh. informal. Or, or, or like uh, when, I, when I translate things on Google Translator and then I think I'm super smart because I'm saying the taco was delicious and it's completely messed up when I go to the taco truck <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah hey, I wonder Google if I could be. <laughs> I wonder if I could be an. What? What is it? Do they only get paid five bucks for that every week? I wonder if they upcharge that because Fiverr's funny that way. They have the get in the door thing, and then they have the. Because I'm like, I could do that. I could be an English speaker on Fiverr mm, and teach yeah. people English. I could do that. That would be so yeah, much I don't, fun. I don't. I'm gonna check yeah. that out. Yeah, it's worth a look. In my spare time, right? <laughs> yeah. When this is done. So um, that's a really good tip. I never have heard about that. You know, I've used Fiverr for a few things. If people haven't used it, check it out because it's actually quite fascinating, the amount of things that they have out there. Yeah, I've, I've used them for so many different reasons. I know. It's a mixed bag in terms of results, but you yes. don't really lose much money trying it out. That's exactly That's exactly true. That's exactly true. Oh, so we've got a few routes here. Actually, I'm still stuck on the I'm still stuck on the Zook, and I'm kind of stuck on this whole <laughs> fiber thing. So, 
Um, okay, so we're getting near the end. So you're curious about learning a language because you're going to live in Czech Republic at some point. Do you mm-hmm. travel very often? Do you get around um, around outside of New Zealand very often? Yeah, I try to. I'd say I'm outside of the country at least twice a year. Um, and yeah, I'd like to do a lot more than that. But uh, I've mostly been, I've been all over the states, uh, rambled all over the states. I think I've done about 41 states now. Been, I've lost track. Oh, that's like super embarrassing because I've lived here my <laughs> life and I don't think I have 41. So thanks for showing me up on that one. Since <laughs> <laughs> uh, you and every every American I've spoken to so far, you know. It's, I know. Uh, What's the matter We never with travel us? in our own country, so I don't know what that's about. I mean, but even yeah, in that, my own state, gosh. Yeah, go on. Okay, go on. Yeah. Well, you know, there are Southeast Asia, some of the Pacific Islands, Australia, those kind of places. But, yeah, I'm really – I haven't really touched Europe at all yet. Hmm. And and I'm really keen to explore um, parts of Africa as well, get a bit rugged and wild on it. So, yeah, a lot on the to-do list. But I do sounds try to get like, out of the, and around as much as possible. That sounds – I mean, it's like – not only will you have 41 states, but you'll be close to having all the continents pretty soon if you, if you go on that path. So, yeah, you're way ahead of me. <laughs> That's okay. It's inspiring. It's inspiring. <laughs> so um, what's next on the horizon? Anything coming up after Brojo and the book? Like, like that's not enough, but anyway. <laughs> well, it's actually it's all a big combination. I want to take Brojo international. And so learning new languages, going to new places to live, that's all part of it. So that's one of the key things as well when – I don't like the term lifestyle design, but that's kind of what we're talking about here, I guess, is, you know, how do you make it all work together? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I always ask myself, like, how can my work support my passion, you know, my hobbies? How can my hobbies support my health? How can my health support my work? You know, just keep mm-hmm. things. How can my relationships support all of these things? You know, um, my coach or former coach, Jesse Krieger, he uh, talks about going supernova. And that is like... You can do an activity you're passionate about and knowledgeable about and skilled in, and that's kind of like a great activity for you. Or you can do that combined with another activity that's the same kind of satisfaction, and you create mm-hmm. this kind of supernova activity. Like one of the things he talked about, he loves mountain biking, and uh, he's also a businessman. Mm-hmm. So what he'll do is he'll take the people he wants to have a business meeting with, he'll take them on a bike ride. You know, he'll do those two things at the same time. Um, so if I look at combining traveling with working, with learning a new language, mm-hmm. with being a girlfriend, with dancing around the world, you know, these things can add up. You just had to add them to your life right. one at a time and then start trying to figure out how to combine them. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I, I do that a lot myself where I... Um, when I'm going to be doing something really intense, I grab something else really intense parallel to it mm-hmm. because then it does, it creates that the, the two of them almost play off of each other. Like, you know, I was doing whole 30, which is a really change up of the way that, you know, I mean, it's a pretty strict way of eating, but it's actually really awesome, but very rigid at the same time as working through launching the podcast. And those two things have such an intensity, but yet they, they almost like support each other. You know? Yeah, and I think, well, it'd be so hard if they didn't as well. Right. You know, if they were in conflict with each other. And I, I see that a lot of people have something they love, something else they love. It appears that they're in conflict with each other. And most of the time, if we explore it, it usually means that one of those things isn't actually right for you. Right. You know, I, I find that 
all the things that are truly right for me that like speak to me at the core mm-hmm. they they hold hands together well you right. know I, yeah these two things actually went really well together because the whole 30 plan was really right for me as far as it's a paleo like relationship gives me the support i need to or the you know whatever i need to do to work on my health these things seem to work together pretty well and that's actually a measure in and of itself that mm-hmm. you kind of got that authentic life going is right. that everything's kind of working well together everything i don't know what you call it that synergy it's almost uh, like gears you know like they all mm-hmm. rock into place and then mm-hmm. once you start turning the crank they all move together at, at such a great pace you know what i mean absolutely and and there's a lot of your unconscious effort in there you know you have to make it work you have to you have to be careful and strict with your calendar and, you know, you've got to be disciplined with how mm-hmm. you spend every minute um, so that I always think you can go every week and look back over your week and go, you know, for next week, how can I spend one hour more doing things I love and one hour less doing things I hate, you know, exactly. and just keep applying that. You apply that for a year and you end up with a really powerful, authentic lifestyle. Yeah, that is that's so true. I mean, that's the biggest thing is less time doing what we don't love. You know, more time doing what we love. That's that's exactly the formula. Well, this has been really enjoyable talking with you today. And mm. I think that um, you've pretty much figured the formula out pretty well over there from what it sounds like. <laughs> and when you started talking about Brojo, you know, and then later mentioned how you want to take it, you know, to the world. When you mm. first started talking about it, that's exactly what I thought is I hope that he brings this out in the world because that's what we need is a community of people that we can talk to about these things that have mm-hmm. a like-minded thinking, that have the same kind of um, excitement and motivation. And I, I think what you're doing is such great work, so I'm glad you're on that path. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I believe you're on a, your own path in that way as well, you know, and, and that's what I love about podcasting. Is mm-hmm. you can just, I got so many people, they live and listen to podcasts every day on their way to work. You know, mm-hmm. they, they change their life on a weekly basis because of you know listening to conversations like these so you know, know we're both just trying to do the work right exactly and inspire people because that's how that's how I'm here and I'm sure that's how you're here is because someone came along and inspired me to think a little bit differently just like mm-hmm. you know the slightest left or right turn to see something different that was a possibility absolutely and I think you know one of the key points to make I don't know if we really went into it in detail is that to make this kind of lifestyle happen it's going to be painful there's going to be a lot of struggle involved in it there's i think sometimes we get so excited about what we've done that we forget to mention by the way it was really fucking hard to do this you know (laughs) Um, you know so much doubt so much uncertainty so much choosing to go into the unknown with a feeling that it wasn't going to work so much failure you know all of that's required it's the price you pay for for that authentic lifestyle and I think that's a that's a key it's a key message I want to get out there to everybody who's working on themselves is be prepared to pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about energy. I'm talking about failure. I'm talking about uncertainty. I'm talking about like you mentioned, some relationships are going oh, to end. Right. You know, others Absolutely. to make space for the new ones. The old you will have to die for the new you to be you know born. And um, but it's just it's worth it. It's worth it. It's when you're not living like that, it hurts more anyway. So I was going to say, you get, right, you get to a point where the inside pain of not, of, of not being yourself becomes so undeniable that you really mm-hmm. don't have a choice. It's like, okay, like I remember, I mean, I remember it specifically when I got to that tipping point 
I was out riding my bike on the trail and I was like, you know, just dealing with all this stuff in my head. It's kind of like active meditation out there and processing all these things and wondering like the people that are, that matter to me in my life are just not getting it. And I don't know, like I either stop and I go back to what we were doing and just live that life or I go forward and I, mm-hmm. I accept that they will come with me or they won't. And just, and it was that, ter- that tipping point of like, okay, once I did that, then it got a little easier because I knew I was following what my in, my inner voice was trying to tell me to do. But um, if I hadn't, I would be really like, I, I, I almost felt like it was like this. Like if I go the direction that I'm heading, I'm stepping into living. And if I go back, I'm step, I'm starting my march to death. You know, mm, it was that yep. profound. Yep. I, yeah, I think that's basically it. You know, you get to that like you say, you get to that crossroads and you're like, well, do I live or die? <laughs> you right. know? And I don't mean die like I was going to die you yeah. know, instantly, but it was like then every day after that was going to be downhill versus uphill, you know, yeah. or uphill in a good way. <laughs> uphill sounds hard, but I mean in a good way, like better and better and better, you know, and more exciting every day versus just like starting to shut down all the lights, you know, turn off the lights. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think, and that's, that's, I think you just identified the, the key changes. You have to get to the point where you realize you don't have a choice. You know, yeah. you have to get to the point where you realize that the, the pain of remaining the way you are is, it's not even a consideration. It's just so terrible that mm-hmm. anything else, even getting it all wrong is going to be better than that. Right. All right. Well, thank you again for joining me. It was so fun hearing your stories, and I especially can't wait to see the footage, which we might have to include in the show notes if you want to share that. Some of that. Yeah, I'll send something through. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll talk with you soon. All right, Jane. Take thanks care. a lot. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. So that was quite a conversation with Dan. We went a lot of different places, and I first of all loved how he really told the true stories of the things that he was going through as he was finding his way to what he really loves to do. And the message that I took away was really asking myself, do I have a connection in my life right now that I could be completely authentic with all the time? And I didn't have that for a really long time in my life where I felt like this person I could tell everything to, like they could see all parts of me and feel really safe doing that, you know, just like in being that vulnerable. And I feel like I have that now, and it's a really different way to live. So I hope all of you think about that. Do you have that person? And if not, figure out a way to get that, because it really does make a difference. Thanks for listening.